Hey guys and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast we have Stephen Colfer. Stephen is an actor, a writer and a founding member of Dream Gun. Dream Gun are a highly successful sketch comedy group based right here in Dublin. We talk about them a lot on the episode and Stephen was kind enough uh, to send us in a clip uh, from his podcast of their highly, highly successful uh, movie readings uh, which they do. So we're going to play that for you in just a moment. I just wanted to take a quick second, a quick little detour to thank everyone who got in touch about the Louise Kylie episode last week. It was very cool to get Louise in the podcast. If you're listening Louise, you're definitely not listening. But if you are, thank you so much for taking the time to do it um, it was a really cool episode and a lot of people really enjoyed it uh, and I certainly enjoyed it so thank you if you're coming back that's deadly thank you for subscribing assuming you did if you didn't go fuck yourself uh, and hit uh, rate and comment and subscribe and all that stuff if you can give us a share on Twitter on Facebook I know that's annoying I know I haven't asked you to do it so I understand that people don't want it but if you can it makes a massive difference uh, what isn't that annoying is uh, you just say to a friend hey this is deadly podcast you should give it a listen and then tell them about an Irishman abroad. Uh, no, I am joking. Obviously, tell them about the wonderful personality bingo. Um, guys, uh, I also wanted to just give a quick update about what is going on with me. Uh, my little brother just shot and released um, a short film, which you should have a check uh, on, a check in on, a check out of, whatever uh, you're having yourself. Uh, it's a really deadly little film. It's called A Million Stars Already Dead. It's on YouTube. Uh, ben Moran is the name of the filmmaker. That's my little brother. And uh, I star in it uh, alongside a deadly little cast. Um, of some of Ben's uh, mates from home and now my mates from home because they were deadly and uh, they absolutely crushed it it's a really really good film it's uh, 12 minutes long so if you have the time go check it out I'll share it on my Twitter and all that good stuff but uh, it's really good and uh, you're going to see me do some of the acting which is what I uh, do for the living so uh, go and have a look at that also in the Tivoli Panto we are opening this week crazy crazy stuff Uh, it's deadly it's Sleeping Beauty it's in the Tivoli Theatre it's Mary Byrne it's Alan Hughes it's Rob Murphy it's Michelle McGrath Morgan Crowley um, Matthew Carpenter and Keela Anna Whelan who listens to the podcast and is right now either cringing or laughing okay now she's laughing yeah so there you go um, in other news uh, yeah guys have a little check in on a clip that Stephen sent us over from his movie readings and other than that enjoy Stephen Colfer playing personality bingo with Tom Moran Up on the bridge, Captain Smith, a lovable train conductor. (laughs) And his first mate, Murdoch, survey the sea ahead. Looks like it's all clear for the next 1,809 miles. (laughs) And that's as far as these binoculars can see. (laughs) Take it to see, Mr. Murdoch. Let's stretch our legs. Yes, sir. All steam ahead, Mr. Moody. Jack and Fabrizio walk up to the front of the ship. Jack spreads his arms out, obviously emulating the poster for the movie Titanic. I'm the king of the world! No, he's not. Later, all the snooty first-class people, including the actual king of the world, sit around drinking tea. They all have attachments on their cigars and cigarettes and wear centerpieces on their hats. Ismay, the head of the White Star Company, discusses boat business. Our master shipbuilder, Mr. Andrews here, designed the, from the, the keel plates up, 
They said it was foolish to get one guy to design a whole boat, that he lacked much of the knowledge necessary. But by gosh, here it is. Best damn boat designed in an afternoon. Andrews, the Northern Irish designer of the Titanic, is flattered. I might have built it, but the idea was you. You envisioned a steamer so grand in scale and so luxurious at its appointments that its supremacy would never be challenged. <laughs> All I did was design and figure out how to build it. And here she is, willed into solid reality. Of course, you wanted your version to be five times bigger and made entirely of bricks. <laughs> Porous bricks. <laughs> so, Stephen Cole for Ready to Play Personality Bingo. Uh, yes, yes, let's do it. I love the certainty. <laughs> right, um, so uh, basically, uh, give a quick explainer of how it all works. I always say explainer, and it's definitely not a real word, but fuck it. Um, so there are 60 balls in here. going to put 60 minutes on the clock, and there are 60 corresponding questions. Uh, I've also given you five numbers there. Could you do me a favour and read out the five that you have? Uh, 5, 20, 36, 19, and 58. Sweet. I'm going to ask you a favour to pick uh, a sixth number that's not on the sheet and something between 1 and 60. Okay, cool. Cool. Wow, what'd you pick? Uh, 46. Nice, any reason? Uh, I tried really hard for there to be no reason, but now that I'm looking at it, it is like, it is like the volume that I leave my TV at. So nice. That could be that could be a reason. Are but, you? Uh, do you have the whole like it needs to be an even number thing, or is yeah, it always definitely? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for no reason, you know. Yeah. I can logically think that like, oh, it shouldn't be, but definitely, I I do get uncomfortable if I leave it at forty. 47 or god forbid 45 oh man so yeah no even number all the way the anxiety all right well i'm sorry yeah you got a few uneven ones there i hope that's okay ah that'd be fine i mean it's not volume so don't destroy the office (laughs) (laughs) right and i should mention that if you do manage to get all of those numbers all six come out uh, and you tick them off it hasn't happened yet but it's been pretty close if that does happen for you that means the tables are turned you get to uh, ask me any question in the whole wide world and i'll give you a totally honest answer oh great all right okay nice Uh, right let's just go for it Okay, so first number out the gate, we have number nine. Do you have it? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, no worries. Um, in your industry, uh, who is... Okay, this is a double question, really. In your industry, who is a person that you would love to work with? So when I say in your industry, what do you consider to be your industry? Because you do a few things that kind of like cross a few different spheres. Yeah, it's, it's a bit all over the place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so I do a lot of... Uh, I do writing and uh, and I do performing. Yeah. Um, and like... Like vi- like online stuff like in terms of videos and like online content and as well as like you know stuff that's in like kind of comedy clubs and bars yeah. and theaters, it's pretty like all encompassing. Yeah, definitely. I think I think let's 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 cheat and let's go with uh, let's go with podcast. Okay. Yeah, um, because that's definitely what I spend like the most of my time uh, listening to. Right. Um, I spend a lot of time listening to. Uh, oh yeah, and I and I I make a podcast, which is why this is in my chosen field. Yes. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time listening to uh, video game podcasts, mm. um, and I'd certainly that's that's I, I I play video games all the time. They are the they're the thing that I consume the most. Mm-hmm. I would say, mm. um, but I've never worked on one in any capacity. And certainly in terms of uh, especially in terms of analysis, I think the guys who make those podcasts are definitely the people that I'd love to I'd love to get there. I'd love to get their opinion on the film stuff that I do, but I'd also 
will love to try and write the stuff that they do. Mm. So yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that, I mean, like, I know that's such a massive industry, even yeah. on, like, from a YouTuber perspective, like the podcast. It's something I know yeah. absolutely nothing about. So yeah. let me, uh, just purely selfishly, let me, like, point you in something that I can talk about. Okay, what sure. about in terms of, like, a, a kind of a comedy, a writing, acting, that kind of world? Yeah. Who are the people? Uh, who, oh, let me think now. Let me get this right. Definitely. So we do a thing in film reads uh, where we bring in uh, we bring in actors and comedians and stuff to read these three these jokey scripts that we've given and there's so many people like there's so many Irish comics for example that I'd love to bring in you know I'd love to I'd love to work with uh, you know people like David O'Doherty and, and Darrow Breen for example but I don't know what happens when you hand Darrow Breen a script mm. do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. so because obviously they're, they're both men very comfortable performing their their own jokes Um but I would, I would nearly out of like pure morbid curiosity almost, uh, because I would love to see, I would love to see them do very well. If I handed them a, a thing of like movie reference, reference jokes, and was like, here, do this. Uh, but I would also be very curious as to what they might, as to these like what these legendary performers might 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 do if they were like, oh, I don't, I don't do my own jokes, but I'll give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, what about you? Like, do you yeah. do you prefer? Do you, do you feel most comfortable performing stuff that you've written for yourself, or do you love bringing to life like other people's words? Um, I I'm more comfortable doing my own stuff. Definitely, mm. like I worry, I, I have no worry about the film reads. I mean, for starters, we're we're holding scripts in our hands the whole way through, so that like completely alleviates like any nerves you might have. Um, but the stuff I really care about is doing other people's things. Do you know what I mean? So while I'm while I'm more comfortable with performing my own words because there's a certain familiarity with like I'm definitely doing them justice yeah. <laughs> when it comes to my own words when it comes to like doing a play or something that's when you're like oh what was the I hope I'm nailing the true intention of this thing yeah. those kind of fears come over but going on the discovery of figuring that stuff out is definitely what I prefer to do yeah um, because that's where that's where the work is really enjoyable yeah. yeah 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 okay um, All right. especially in terms of like theatre mm. and how you know I guess when theatre is written it uh, it always it like stops at the script as opposed to films that are like the the film script is just it's it's one step of the process and then what happens with the film is the film exists forever very rarely is the script literally gone back to and remade I mean the movie might be remade as something else with a different script but in theater it's like you write the script and then just infinite versions of the show are then made some of which are masterpieces and some of which are absolute pants yeah so I just love the the fact that with the same source material you have that that widened that that huge range of uh, of end products, I guess. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because it's an interesting thing they say that about film that it's like it's written three times. It's written by the writer. It's written like on the set on the day, depending on what's happening, and it's written again in the editing room. Like it keeps changing. Exactly, yeah. And then okay, you come up with this final thing. And I mean, in theater, you're right. Like the playwright is kind of like relatively speaking, it's like God. You know, whatever's there, if it's an uh, and um, a full stop whatever you're kind of meant to do it yeah. uh, when you give your scripts and like even in these film reads that you kind of make do you, how precious are you in regard to um, changes or suggestions and that kind of thing I'd love to say we're not but we're so precious really yeah um, if, we, if people are going to change things we really encourage them to like say it to us first um, I don't even know if that's necessary but we have had instances where uh we deliberately put kind of mistakes and misleads into the scripts that people misinterpret and they end up uh, they end up improvising a punchline that we've actually written on the next page. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, moments like that happen because people only have I should say with Phil, the way film reads works is the the performers are given the script an hour before the show goes up and they barely have time to like highlight their own lines let alone read everyone else's mm -hmm. uh, so the big problem we have with changes is that uh, uh, I might be setting up a joke that has a punchline in two pages time and you're a performer with me who really wants to improvise and you instinctively say the punchline to that joke not realizing that we're actually building up to something that's gonna and then it's repeated again two pages later where yeah. we've actually written it down so that's a weird specific problem but that has happened which yeah. is our excuse for putting the clamp on people uh that's 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 how we feel yeah no i yeah, think that's it totally fair me, it actually makes me feel dirty to say it but that is that is what we do no <laughs> fuck it especially what you're doing like actually it probably is no harm to maybe just like give like the the elevator pitch of what like film reads is yeah uh, so it's uh, it's like a comedy show um it's a live comedy show and me and myself stephen calver heber hanley gavin dre and james mcdonald who formed dream gun uh we take a film and we write a script uh, we take the script and we rewrite it uh, so that it's just full, it's stuffed full of jokes and nonsense and has this uh, perpetual narrator character the whole way through it who's kind of describing uh, describing the events of the film. Um, and then we just get uh, myself, Gavin, and uh, Hebrew will always be in it, but we'll also bring in this cast of uh, comics and actors. Uh, Ronan Carey, Aaron McGathy, and Hannah Mamelis often do it. Um, and they, uh, with very little notice, perform the scripts with us. So it's got this weird... Uh, it's got this weird old school like Brendan O'Carroll town hall comedy vibe to it that I like where because uh, messing up is part of it. Um, so a lot of the fun is like watching or listening to the to the actors kind of struggle their way through it. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of insights into stuff like this in terms of like people kind of being a script being thrown at people and uh, their own kind of raw response to it being what the show is about. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's magic. It's magic. All right, sweet. Let's go again. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Number 45. Do you have it? I, I know I don't. I have 46, though. If I wasn't so weird about television volumes, I might have it. <laughs> <laughs> right, number uh, 45. Uh, question is, have you ever or would you ever consider seeing a fortune teller? Oh, absolutely not. No? No. Uh, I have seen them. Have uh, you? I have, yeah. When I was young, there was a, uh, my, my primary school had a, had a family field day. And uh, one of the, um, you know, in the country, the fortune, uh, the fortune tellers are different in the country. They all, they all live in uh, crazy caravans and they don't live there. They do their business out of these crazy caravans that they definitely don't live in. And uh, they go to these events, much like in Father's Head in the first episode. Um, and they do their fortune teller stick. And uh, I remember being told I was going to live in Australia, which I have yet to do. So, but there's still time. So maybe, maybe they got it right. Uh, but yeah, no, total, total muck. I have no time for it. That's such, <laughs> no. That's such <laughs> basic bitch fortune telling. It's like, all right, young Irish male, you'll live in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck me, that's gas. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, 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 extended family members who uh, who do do entertain it. Um, and I try to be, uh, I try to be a little more, a little more uh, respectful, I guess, if I was talking to them about it. But uh, between you and me, Tom, and your audience, absolute trash. Just yeah. don't waste your time. Don't. Yeah. It's not. It's not worth it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. You know <laughs> Do you ever have them days where like stuff is happening, or you have a feeling and it happens, and you're kind of like, "Fuck me, maybe I'm a psychic." Oh yeah, but that's what they want you to think. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is that is uh, that is. If, if you're like me and you've watched a lot of uh, Duran Brown videos and you know your stuff, <laughs> um, that is like, uh, did you know that? you have psychic powers is like one of the hook line and sinker like like if you if you're a psychic and you want your customer to uh to believe in what you're saying 
if you hit them with that straight away, you've got them because uh, if they are actually interested and they're not ironically, cynically going like I would be, uh, then that then the, you know, if you're interested in psychics, it's probably because you're like maybe I have psychic powers. Yeah, it's true. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind you of know? like another level of narcissism, but like that we could all slip into yeah. it moment yeah. to moment. Now, to be fair, I I I don't think I do think it's possible to believe that you're a psychic and to run a psychic business and to not be lying to people that you honestly think you're telling the truth and you honestly think you're telling the fortune, but you're not. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the, like I I've never been, but like I I I kind of I I'm definitely gonna go just because I, I just kind of want to see what the room looks like and yeah. what kind of people they are. Like it's mad that like people who think they are or let, let me put it this way: people who are psychics or at least think they are psychics, yeah. like just walk amongst us day to day. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And then of course there's just like there's people who abuse it, and uh, I mean one of the one of the one of the ways it works is that you just you just if you get something wrong you just blame it on the person you're talking to and it becomes this weird like abusive relationship between the the psychic and the client what do you mean like they say that you weren't clear so, with so let's say i'm like uh i'm like uh, think about the number five is five something in your life and you know if you have i i come from a family of five for example which is why i picked that and a lot of other people might but if they can't if they're like no no then you just have to say well somebody wants you to think of five so you might want to I want to go home and think about that. <laughs> you know, you just got to put the onus on them and that's how you that's how you get out of the the nasty situation. Yeah. So uh Do you know what the, yeah, one of the reasons just, I, don't, I don't like it. I no, I, I, don't I get like it. it at all. Yeah. One of the reasons that I don't do and haven't gone yet like cuz I'm I'm genuinely just curious. I just I just want to see what it's like. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like the idea of someone like making a prediction and then like there's some part of my brain that's like right well well that that has to come true now. Like I, I've lost all control over that part of my life because they've said it. It's in the universe now. I yeah. mean, I, I'm just, like I know that's not how it works, but like on some on some fundamental level, like if someone, like even if it's a good thing, like someone says, "Oh, you're gonna have great success in your career," yeah, I'm yeah. like, "Ah, for fuck's sake! Like it's boom <laughs> now. I'm gonna have great success yeah, in my yeah. career." And then if you don't have great success in your career, you're like wondering, "Well, what cosmic thing that I do that screwed me over?" which is my same problem. It's the same problem I have with like a lot of things that are like, you just have to think good thoughts and be a good person and good things will happen to you. Is that sometimes people, if they really believe that, they start to like, basically start to help self-harm themselves because when good things don't happen, they assume it's their fault. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a nasty, it's a nasty way of thinking. You I know, know. yeah, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting. It's one of the things that's been on my mind lately and it's slightly different, but like yeah. I have these friends um, and uh, and they wouldn't even be close friends actually, but they're people that I have on social media and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I'd see them, and they're from home. And uh, I don't know if you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, I do a bit, yeah. And that yeah. kind of thing. he has some of these guys on that are like real bit, like really like athletic guys, really like high functioning people. Yeah. Like they're brilliant, and like you know they do all this stuff. Like they go like bow hunting, they go like hill running. They they wake up at like five in the morning and do their like they lead this really. Um, just high functioning life I'd say and I have some friends from home who like I've started doing this so I'll see in their Instagram and it's like you know 5.34am up and at it and it's them like walking to the gym and like this is like every day and I mean you know that's actually like a great thing there's really no reason for me to take issue with that but on the other hand I'm like Oh, it just makes me uncomfortable because I'm like <laughs> you're like you're copycatting some some fucking crazy like hyped up American dude who does this for a living and like yeah. kind of uh, like all that like um, self-help like guruism stuff it's become this massive industry yeah like it's huge yeah I think uh, I th and there's a lot of stuff that just uh, I, I, I 
I'm I'm a big believer in the whole like mindfulness thing, you know, uh, because it's all on you. It's not really on anyone else's advice or or anything like that. You know, it's like the good feelings are coming from yourself, and it's yourself talking your mind into what you're doing. But whenever someone starts to harness that as like, uh, hey, I've got the secret to a good lifestyle, and only me knows it, and this is the thing you got to do, and it's the only way. And when in reality they've actually just they've just taken like a a small aspect of uh, you know simple things that you can do to to, to keep yourself good, to keep yourself in a good mind and uh, and take responsibility for it instead of depending on someone else to do it and they've packaged it and sold it to you. So there we go. Next, I'm going to tell you about uh, all the other reasons that people are taking. <laughs> it. Let's let's do it. Let's I love go. it. <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. Number 38. Do you have it? Nope. No worries. Number 38. The question is, if you had to get a tattoo, what would you get? Oh, crap. So uh, how do you feel about t- tattoos, Tom, in terms of like being an actor? Oh, do yeah. A, do you have a bit of a, a bit of a stigma because of that? I, well, not a stigma, but like a hesitancy. I know, because there's that yeah. thing that like if you get a tattoo, it's going to rule you out of like period pieces or like yeah. certain roles. Like that character wouldn't have that like dragon on his arse or whatever it would be yeah. uh, I wouldn't get a tattoo anyway because I think frankly I'd look ridiculous I think the only tattoo I could justify getting is a tattoo that says hey kids this is the reason not to get tattoos and it would oh, be me yeah, yeah. with a god awful tattoo uh, so I wouldn't get one anyway if I really wanted one I, I, I'm, I'm a devil for this like I'll, I'll be like oh, I'm not going to let my career get in the way of like things that I really want to do like you know going and travelling to Asia but then your brain and everyone's like oh but you're going to miss out on like you know like you know two brilliant jobs that you would have got so I think it's the same thing my brain would get in the way and it would go oh you're gonna yeah, yeah. lose out in roles for no, so like for that reason that's no. definitely always gonna stop me I mean I've never seen the whole uh, oh if you get a tattoo you're gonna lose you're gonna lose roles actually work I've seen plenty of uh, I've seen plenty of lads cast straight out of drama school with mental visible tattoos right into something where they just put on the makeup and cover it up you know uh, but I definitely have that I definitely have that stigma but if I was to get one uh, first of all it wouldn't be Tex because I just it doesn't doesn't you ha- you have to read it you have to read the tattoo nah you know that means that people people don't really see it they have to like literally stop you and have an interaction with you to really actually know what's going on yeah which uh, nah doesn't doesn't work for me so not that and if it wasn't it if it was an image it'd probably be some kind of pixel art thing that I would like immediately regret like I tend to I tend to hate I tend to perpetually hate me from two weeks ago which is why I'm just not a tattoo person, you know? I was just like, yeah, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so permanent. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know you can, like, however you get them removed, it sounds like a horrible process. Also, my granny would just kill me. Yeah. Like, she really would. She hates them. Like, one of my friends uh, works in the hairdressers where my granny gets her hair done, and it's, like, pretty much the only time she leaves the house now and like she's been going to this place like her whole life and my friend's been working there certainly like six or seven years and she has like she's covered in tattoos like in sleeves and all this stuff and it's just she loves it like she's delighted yeah. and every time as it like it's as if she pretends to forget and she just like will full on like berate my, my friend for having these tattoos it's, it's unbelievable she you know anyone who got tattoos and they were like super young like what's the earliest age you can get one yeah like, if you have a parent is it any age I, I, oh I don't know like, I wonder, could you, like, bring a 12-year-old? Oh, no. I don't know. I just, I know, I I know there were guys when I was a teenager who got things for girlfriends done. And uh, really? I don't think I know any of my teenage friends who are still together 12 years later. <laughs> so, you know, I wonder, I wonder what they look like these days. Yeah. It is that, like, it is that fear. Like, I wonder, have I ever been, like, 
I'm sure I have. Like, have I ever been so drunk that if I was in the vicinity of a tattoo parlor and if I was with friends who were willing to lead me astray, you know, and if I had however much money was needed to get a tattoo, like, is there a universe where I just got something fucking horrendous tattooed on me, absolutely shit-faced? Yeah, yeah. Imagine, like, just some kind of, like... Like a, like a quote you'd hang in your kitchen, just something completely useless. <laughs> it's crazy, it's crazy. Yeah, so I think we're we're playing it safe anyway for a moment on Tattoo Front. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, right. yeah. Sweet, okay, here we go. Number 29, do you have it? Nope. All right, no worries. Number 29, the question is, how do you feel about your hometown? Kilkenny. Uh, I like Kilkenny. Um, so, well, so I'm from, I was born in Dublin. And then at the age of one, my parents moved to Kilkenny with me and they're still there. And then when I turned 21, I moved to Dublin and I've been here since. And that was eight years ago. Uh, so I had this weird thing in my life where uh, while, while I was in Kilkenny, I was from Dublin. So the whole way through school, the whole way through that, it'd be like Stephen from Dublin. He's a dub. And then as soon as I got to Dublin, I was from Kilkenny. Right. Um, so I don't know where I'm from, mm. uh, but we'll say it's Kilkenny. We'll say it's my hometown. And um, I definitely had to get away from it for a certain period of time once I like went to college uh, there was a lot of me that like felt uncomfortable going back um, but these days thankfully a lot of the times I go back are for work and since that started to happen I've definitely come around and really started enjoying uh, my trips back to Kilkenny mostly because uh, when I run into my friends in pubs I have answers to their questions that are relevant to them <laughs> you know like uh, Cartoon Saloon who are a great animation company that uh uh, based in Kilkenny I've been doing a bit of work with them there recently and it's just so much nicer to be in Kilkenny and someone's someone who I know from school who I would love to talk to normally uh, comes up to me and asks how I'm going on I'm like oh I'm just oh, I'm doing this this work in Cartoon Saloon so much nicer than yeah I'm just uh, up in Dublin doing stuff that you never see and for all you know doesn't exist and yeah. uh, now I'm in the pub hello you know, <laughs> I know. Like, okay so let me ask you what like um, so for people most people won't uh, listening like probably won't have an understanding of this but in terms yeah. of like the Dublin like theory fringe comedy writing scene like actors there's yeah. a shit ton of like people like really similar age to you from Kilkenny like I don't I don't need to name them all because yeah. there's fucking loads of them and I'd end up just forgetting people what was it what is it that like did that oh yeah so we have uh, specifically Kilkenny yeah yeah so so it's crazy uh so when I was uh 15 I went to work for uh well I I joined a youth theater called a youth company called Young Irish Filmmakers who also had a uh a theater company called Dream Stuff uh, Youth Theater uh, which is not where Dream Gun came from people in Kilkenny always assume that but that's like so not the case right um but uh and and when I joined Dream Stuff, uh, the first play I did, I did a play called uh, Sherlock Holmes in the Cult of Dracula. <laughs> uh, I was a vampire in the Cult of Dracula, and I got cast because uh, I was taking my, I was doing, um, I was taking a class in like uh, 3D rendering in film stuff, which is like very, they had like just gotten software. Uh, Star Wars Episode Two had just come out. There's a lot of people. A lot of people at the age of 14, like myself, who were like really, oh, I could render spaceships for the rest of my life. I'm not aware that that's pretty much a, a sweatshop environment these days. Um, but um, uh, so I'd, I'd started taking classes in that, and I was literally sitting on this, sitting on a radiator, waiting for, um, waiting for my lift home. And this theater group were starting up in the same building, and they were like, "We're four vampires short to have a decent like cult of Dracula in the show. Do you want to be in it?" And I said yes because there were girls in the in the show. So ah. that was that was definitely my my primary driving reason. 
because uh, I went to an all boys secondary school and I literally hadn't met hadn't met one yet. Um, so uh, that that's how that happened. And then once I started doing that show, it was written by John Morton, who uh, is still a very good friend of mine today and does a hell of a lot of theater work in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, John Dorn uh, was in it, uh, who was a hugely successful uh, actor in, in Dublin. Um, and there was a whole heap of other people floating around that play. Uh, Neve Maroney was there. Um, uh, Sarah Walsh, who works in Blinder film now, is like a production assistant. Uh, Luke Harris, who's also in, sorry, not in, in, in Blinder, in Boulder. Luke Harris is also in Boulder. There's this whole bunch of people, not even just like John Morton and John Doran and, and the people in, in theater uh, that you'd know. There's there's this whole other bunch of like filmmakers. Uh, Fergal Costello, who's doing a lot of short films lately. Yeah. Uh, he, he would have been in and out of filmmakers. Uh, Peter McGann, who I'm doing a play with in January. Uh, he was down for one summer. And James McDonnell, who's in Dream Gun with me, was down there for a summer. We they did film schools in the summer that were that were more um, uh, people would come from all over Ireland, not just Kilkenny. Mm. Um, and James McDonald came down, and I, I knew James for four weeks, and we were very good friends. And then he went back to Dublin. And I didn't see him again for nine years, and now he's in Dream Gun with me. He's one of the one of the four of us. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, it's it's. But all these people were definitely in one place. Yeah. Know, at the same time, um, it's yeah, very strange. I always wonder like <laughs> how important that is for like yeah. um, because. I always wonder how important it is, like, to have. Let's just play the game where, like, it was just you coming from Kilkenny, right? Or it yeah. was just one of the Johns. Do you know what I mean? But like, I want, and I wonder, like, what what the likelihood is that you would have like stopped, or how different your career would have been, or you're just like, oh fuck this, I'm not bothered. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, how important it is to have like that network and see people like doing well beside you, struggling beside you, all those things. Yeah. Like, do you, do you reckon that that really I, changed it for you? Yeah, I don't even think I would have left Kilkenny, you know, because certainly not. Well, for starters, I definitely wouldn't be in any kind of arts, you know, that would definitely not have happened. I would probably be programming computers somewhere. Um, I'd be I'd be all right. I wouldn't. Be, I, w- I probably wouldn't be too happy, but I'd I'd find a way. Mm. Um, and uh, so I definitely wouldn't have left Kilkenny. Let's say I was somehow an actor by myself the whole way through my teenage years with no support and uh, wanted to go on and do that. Then, um, I mean, the only reason I went to DIT was because John Morton had already gone and John Doran was a year ahead of me. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't have even been. I wouldn't have even being pointed in that direction and anywhere else I was considering it was mostly because that group of people were going but on on top of that once I was out of drama school I mean uh, I just fell straight back into what I was doing already Um, so once I finished college and one thing I I definitely noticed about uh, a lot of the people I I graduated with is that it was a much less bumpy ride like graduating out of drama school for people who'd already be doing this youth theatre stuff because we were somewhat used to just slogging through uh, what what a budget theater is actually like yeah. i guess you know i mean they always do that thing in drama school where you're you know you're banned from from doing any other performances while you're in there and i i understand why that is um but i do think there's a there's a resilience that working in youth theaters and working in profit sharing production productions bills and you that um maybe it shouldn't be essential but it is you know <laughs> um it's not it's probably not a good thing that it is something you need to have mm. but uh it's definitely the reality of it, I think. Yeah. Do you ever, given all that and the fact that like that you had that resilience, you had those guys to like um, be inspired by, to learn from all these things. Do you ever regret like going to drama school? And I definitely don't use the word wasting three yeah, years yeah. there, but like spending three years where you couldn't really be doing your own thing. Um, no, definitely not. Uh, I I enjoyed 
learning at drama school. I think that was the best. That's probably the best way to put it. I mean, I didn't learn a lot about like how to get a job, you know, but I learned a lot about uh, drama history and craft. Um, and honestly, I think, I don't know if that's something you should look for in a drama school, but I mean, you know, as the sole reason you're going, I think there's definitely classes to be thought in like, this is the reality of the world and this is how auditions work and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it was also kind of nice to just let's not pay any attention to the industry and let's just let's just uh, let's just try and act for essentially ourselves for mm. three years, you know, um, because you're never going to really get another opportunity to indulge in yourself to that level. So it's like nice to have this this safe place with like walls around you uh, where, where you can do that. Um, and I definitely did some stuff I was proud of while I was in drama school that I could never do outside of it. Mm. I did. I remember me and my friend. Uh, my good friend Justin O'Byrne, we did uh, for our final graduation show. Uh, we did this like physical comedy piece that was just uh, you know, the, there's this uh, comedy duo called the Umbilical Brothers. Uh, they're Australian. Uh, they do a lot of uh, physical comedy stuff. And uh, one of our graduating scenes was one of their routines. And I super enjoyed like deconstructing that, which because we were it's uh, a lot of it is um, there's like a lot of like. Uh, um, like magician-y stuff going on in terms of where the audience is looking physically at part of your body because you're pulling off all these uh it's two people behind a board looking like one person and you're like playing with uh with making your making your arms and legs stretch out uh, because it's two of you looking like one person behind the board it was r roughly how it worked um and uh drama school is the only place where i really feel like you can safely find that video on youtube deconstruct it enjoy figuring out how they did it and re-perform it yourself with your friend to an audience without people being like, yeah, that's the fucking Umbilical Brothers bit you just ripped off there, man. You just Because that's the point, you know? And yeah. There's very few places that are are actually safe enough to allow you to do that in front of an audience. Uh, so um, that was definitely, that was my, that was how I, after, I'd say about a year after I left drama school, I started to think about it that way and that stuck. So that's, yeah. yeah, but I do think there's like a recovery period when you come out. Oh, there is. Like, uh, oh God, you know. Yeah, because you have yeah. that, like you have that. Um, or I, I like it's it's easy to and I like drifting out of this for moments. Be like, have yeah. that thing of that. Yeah, that like the the they, they didn't show you how to be in the industry and like you didn't come out with like a job or you didn't come out with the right agent or whatever yeah. it, it might be. Like I, I again, kind yeah. of like you. I think I actually had a really good drama school experience and I'm actually very very happy with it like to a point as yeah. is probably everybody but like you do do that thing where you always look around and kind of go but the people who went there have these connections that we just don't have and you know it can be sometimes hard to just be like well no fuck it like that was actually 100% the right thing for me I think yeah I mean, it's tough I think as well you, you tend to uh, you tend to only hear I remember they right before I graduated uh, they brought in uh, they brought in an actor who who'd previously graduated who was very successful and you know naturally just to tell us about like his experience and you know naturally you're like how did you do it? How do you, how are you on the Abbey stage every second show? How how did you get there? And uh, he was like, right, well, uh, I finished uh, I finished in DIT and I went to America for a year and uh, I came back and I uh, called uh, a very uh, you know a very high up agency and they accepted me and uh, well that was it and it's like all right well that you know that I, that's a great story and I'm sure the college is very happy to uh, to kind of hold you up as a shining example but it's not very useful for the guys that ended up doing what I did. Who just came out, got no's from those agencies, and then just had to schlog it and do the work for three years before those agencies eventually started saying yes. Yeah. Um, you know, because essentially, uh, the guy's a great actor, but but there's very little of that story you can take other than hope you're the guy. 
who who that happens to. Yeah, you know? that's the uh, thing. Like, it's an interesting thing. Like one, it, it, like because I, I love listening to like people kind of talking about like even if they're not like even like listening to. I would think I would really enjoy listening to this podcast, even though like there's been there's been some guests in this podcast that actually are very high profile. But like most of the guests in this podcast are just like you know like guys and girls just doing their thing. But I'm always just fascinated to see how anyone gets to wherever they are. But, like, having said that, it's kind of also useless because once someone does it, like, no one can do that again. Like, that was their way and they've done it their way and now you, like, inevitably just have to go do it your own way. Yeah, it's somewhat burned. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, yeah, it's all part of it. Yeah. All right, well, sweet, let's go again. Let's do it. Okay, oh, two came out, right. First one out the gate is number 39. Do you have it? I don't. All right, no worries. Number 39, the question is, what's your relationship to social media? Uh, love hate. Yeah, I'd say everyone is that the is that the answer everyone gives for that. I I don't know if anyone really loves it these days, do they? No, it's hard to love it these yeah, days. I lo- I did I did I was totally hook line and sinker fell for it back in the day. I'm so glad Bebo got deleted because uh, I was I was super more uh, embarrassing, shall we say, back then. Um, but these days, I really I really try and keep away from it. Um, I did a solid. I did a solid year and a half maybe starting three years ago where I installed a thing that just like hid my Facebook wall. So I could uh, I could go to people's things if I wanted to check in on them and, and see what was going on there. And I could still I could still use it, but I just didn't have the stream. And uh, it it just, I enjoyed it so much more, you know? And I, and I went, I actually, I, w- I did eventually go back to turning it off, but it totally killed this like weird addictive habit that, you know, I've since learned is like totally what, what Facebook wants like it's based on that idea of like perpetually rewarding you you know it's like it's oh god damn it it's so annoying the way they harness the damn chemicals in your brain that you have no control over I know where it's just uh, you know like if you refresh Facebook you won't get the same thing that was sitting in front of you you'll get a different thing that the algorithm 30 seconds later has determined well maybe this is what they'd like to see now <laughs> you know I know um, and once you remove that aspect of it I was like oh this is like I don't I really went from like hating this to being like oh this is useful you know, um, so that definitely put me on the put me on the on the track of all right. From now on, Stephen, pretty much just uh, promotion and uh, self promotion and people who uh, people who send you messages on it is my own is the only thing I use Facebook for these days. You're right. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon, man. Like uh, all of us have about like really like fundamentally like max like three things that keep us there like for me it's that like there's a Facebook group that organises games of five-a-side football and I love playing it and and, like that's important to me there's like um sometimes if there's like a party or like a social thing or a play you'll get invited that way and like oh that's going on I love that and then it's got messenger which is useful because you mightn't have everyone's number yeah that's it yeah it's so tough because uh, everyone and and, you know I do this I do this myself you can't get rid of it because if you get rid of it uh, you won't have friends you know because you won't find out about stuff yeah, uh, because at this point we just assume at some point, without asking, there was a an unspoken contract was made between all of us where we're like, we'll make a Facebook event for my birthday party, and uh, that's the only way you'll find out, and everyone will find out because they're they're hawkishly looking for it. Yeah, you know? uh, so uh, like we're probably not far it's, away. It's a bit of a mess, do you know. It's it, um, like what, what when when do weddings move to Facebook? Do you know what I mean? Like when do, do wedding invites stop being a thing and like it just yeah you go you get invited. Well, to the, Facebook. The, I mean the thing about weddings is that there's a whole competing industry there that's going to super make sure to uh, to not let to not let that go <laughs> so they can keep. So I think the only thing that's going to stop it is uh, if is other is other industries kind of having 
such a force behind them that they too can manipulate people, you yeah. know, which uh, I think the wedding industry, similar tactics, I would say, are often used to be like, oh, well, you got to do the you got to do the post engagement photo shoot. <laughs> you know, you got to there's an event for every day leading up to the thing. So I, know. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. And I, I hate when I, I I'm, this is the second time on the podcast, I'm starting to feel myself going to like raving uh liberal conspiracy theorists ter territory but that is honestly how i feel yeah you know <laughs> oh, no, that, that's a good place yeah, to live yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah um all right okay second one came out there earlier so i will give it a read it's number 51 do you have it no i don't okay number 51 not doing well at all tom uh well hey if you could choose one person to interview who would it be does it have to be a does it have to be an alive person no does it no i'd love to um no, do you know who I'd love to I'd love to talk to? Uh, there's an actor I really admire. His name is uh, Stephen Tobolowski. Um, he runs a great podcast called The Tobolowski Files. Okay. Um, and uh, I have actually met him, but not an in an interview setting. Um, but he uh, he's a hugely successful actor. He played uh, Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. Uh, you definitely know his face from a thousand things. But he's never been uh, he's he's never been like Robert Downey Jr. successful, shall we say? But right. he is a super successful actor. Um, and his podcasts, uh, well, a lot of them are, he's a great storyteller. Um, the show I saw him in, it was him telling stories that he used, that he records and puts out in these podcasts. Um, and a lot of them are incredibly useful, like audition tips, because let's face it, none of us are auditioning to be Iron Man. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so what, what, what I need certainly for most of my auditions are just these like incredibly practical, you're auditioning to play, uh, Mike the Builder, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in there, and mainly because uh, he just happens to veer into acting territory every now and then. I would love to sit down and interview him like solely about what do you what do you think of this acting thing? Is this, is this bullshit? Is it real? What's the what's the deal there? Um, one of the one of the great things he said, and this really helped me transition out of out of drama school to keep going back to that, um, was just like a very simple thing where like in in drama school, you know, you'll be probably somewhere between nineteen and twenty one. And uh, you'll be cast as uh, Macbeth, as Lear, as all these like incredible, incredible roles. I say you had one. Did you have one in drums? Did you have one in drama school? Like yeah, big ass, big ass leading leading man part. Well, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Certainly things that were like for men in their fifties. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. then you'll come out, and uh, your best bet is Spearman in the background. Yeah, and you're suddenly going from, and just that transition from. Uh, uh, all right, I've I've spent the last three years doing that. No, I don't get to do that again until I'm actually the age of those characters. Right. Because why would anyone ever, you know, you, you'd say things like, oh, when you're 21, you'll, you'll say things like, oh, but I can act like I'm a 35-year-old Lady Macbeth. Uh, but, you know, it would be easier for the company and less of a risk if they actually cast a 35-year-old Lady Macbeth. I, I think that's um, the... And there's lots of, like, practical tips like that that just don't get really brought up or discussed. Yeah. In... Uh, in, in a college environment, I think. I think that's got to be the fundamental flaw of like, because uh, we both went to the same drama school, like of of of, of that, and it's not, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to like bash it, because like I said, we both had really great experiences there, but it's maybe it's just a drama school problem in general, like really, like because what you're saying is so true. Really, what they should be doing is trying to get you to understand who you are and like how to 
be that in an interesting way and bring that to Rose. Don't get me wrong, like physicality, so important. Yeah. Voice, so important. Singing, that can be important. Movement, that can be important. But like, ultimately, all you have to bring to anything is you. And I mean, that's surely what you've had to find like since doing drama school. Like the stuff that you've had, correct me if I'm wrong, the yeah. stuff you've had most success with is the kind of humour that you have, the things yeah, that you like working yeah. with a friend. And I'm the, be the exact same. Yeah, and I think it's, it's especially like at, a, at this level, the reality of it is that there's there's thousands of uh, of all of us and it's this you know it's the same situation I just said there where it's like we need to cast this one specific type of person and sure you can you can uh, you can act and you can do all your physicality and you you can do all that stuff but uh, it's just such a safer bet to cast someone who you know in themselves uh, is an accurate representation of that character because there's so many people that you can easily do it mm. you know you'll always find someone who just is that because that's so many like just like beady-eyed hopefuls there are out there looking for stuff I know man well let me ask you about that like I'm veering off but yeah. I'm just curious to oh, no, go pick it. your brain yeah. on it like beady-eyed hopefuls is a good word uh, I, like it's been uh, horrendous and weirdly like fascinating to watch all the awfulness come out about like in our industry whether that be comedy theatre uh, you know entertainment industry whatever yeah. way you want to look at it um, between like some of my heroes I I, am, I can uh, put a safe guess you might have enjoyed like Louis C.K. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the past, I mean, like, there, there's all these um, things about, like, Kevin Spacey, uh, like, closer to home. There's Al Porter did all these examples of yeah. things that have been alleged, and a lot of them have been, like, the hands have gone up of the performer in kind of, you know, weak ways. What do you make of it all? What connection do you put with the fact that it is people's dreams? Everyone is BDO. Do you see a parallel there? Um, yeah, it's crap, isn't it? Because, I mean, like, it, like there's just so many people who'll do who 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 have it I've got to do what it takes whatever it takes and it's just clearly people in power taking advantage of that right. and that's that's another thing I said there earlier like about uh, situations the reality is they're like this but they shouldn't be like that and I think a lot of it gets uh, a lot of the whole like oh you gotta you gotta push through you gotta slog it out you gotta you gotta do what it takes is romanticized um, because it's kind of always been that way but it shouldn't you know and I think a lot of the um you know, like if I, it's what I, the the advice I always give to people is like you got to keep rolling the rolling the dice because you know every time all these like collectively hopeful people roll the dice and don't get parts, someone gives up. You know, so you just have to you just have to not give up. But the problem with that is that like so many talented people give up. Mm. You know, and they shouldn't. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, and would you be yeah. of the belief that there are? Because it was funny. Louise Kylie did the podcast yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So I think hers is going to come out. You're going to come out just after her. Yeah. It was funny because I kind of asked her that. I was like, look, you see more actors than anyone. Like, you yeah. see, like, thousands of actors. You've seen everyone's tapes. You're going to see loads of theatre. Do you look at actors and do you just go, oh, man, you're a bit shit. You should quit. And it was interesting what she said. And I don't yeah. think it was, like, a politician's answer. I think she really meant it. It was like, she's like, well, yeah, sometimes I think that. But then I realise, well, it's not for me. And I can show it to someone else. And they're like, yeah, that was, that was great, wasn't it? And I was like... Yeah. It's interesting because I'm sure we all have had conversations with friends who've been like humming and hawing and on the edge of like quitting. And it's I always find it weird because like really if you're being really, really honest with yourself, you can't really ever give someone like a good reason not to quit no matter like how good they are. Because um, like you, you got to just like work out does it make you happy? Yeah. Like that has to be fundamentally the most important thing. And like you're right, like there's so much, I, oh, I don't know who said it, I think it was talking about like it was a writing podcast I was listening to and they were talking about what's the like defining characteristic needed for a, a screenwriter and it was the the answer that they gave was um an ability to endure despair 
Sure, yeah. And that, I was like, fuck, that's it. Like, yeah, that's yeah. actually it. That, well, that is the secret, uh, but it shouldn't be. That's, you know, like, like, um, and I, and I, and again, it's, it's, uh, this is literally only a thought I've had, just thinking about all that, that horrendous stuff and just putting people in the bin, just, uh, having to pick up people who, you know, having to take a whole idea of people that I massively admired and just being like, all right, well, that's it then. You I know, very literally, let's, like, let's move on. It's so know? funny. You say put put it in the bin. Yeah. Literally two days ago, I like had a poster of Louis C.K. on my wall and oh, I, I was like, yeah. oh, it's got to go. I, 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 and I, and I didn't know what my relationship to it was supposed to be. And then I, I chatted to some friends about like it's not a fucking big deal what I do with a fucking singular poster of this guy who masturbated in front of women but like it actually kind of was like you know yep. wh where do you stand with it it's fucking not good enough yeah, like when you when you when you realize that like and when you think about yourself and like oh how how far would I go to get a part and you realize I don't know what I do in a room with with Louis C.K. Master and this is me as a man yeah. imagine how I'd feel as a woman yeah you know. Like physically like, smaller, you have to imagine. Like, well, just this horrible way it's unbalanced. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just in terms of like what you have to do to, to get there. Yeah. And the, and again, with this whole thing like being pounded into us of, uh, oh, we got to, you got to do, you got to do what it takes. Yeah. Um, am I sitting there going like, is it a good idea to, to, to say no to this? Is it a good idea to go along with this because of where I could potentially be? It's just a fucking horrible situation to to put someone in. Mm. So you're sorry, mate. You're in the bin. Do you know that's that's yeah. That's it. Like you know, like the, anytime I try and think about it, that's the that's the conclusion I I have to come to. Yeah, and, and like so, what's so yeah. offensive about it, I think, is that like I'm sure you'd agree that like the people like. Just I'm just even thinking of like our friends in common, like in and like who and it's kind of a naff way to describe it, but like really, if you're being honest about it, like it is ultimately the entertainment industry. Just it's just the best all encapsulating thing for like theater, acting, comedy, ba ba da ba da, whatever it is. Like let's just call it that, even though it's a bit naff. And they're like the best people. They're so kind. They're so empathic. They're so understanding. You know, sometimes, most of the time. And then like for there just to be these people who like are at the very top of that like world and and then to just it to be so opposite of like everything yeah. that like not not to be wanky about it but like that the art should be it should make people feel good and empower people and make people feel less alone not like you know make people have this like dirty secret that they carry around with them and are completely ashamed of and you know has left scars whether that be like physical or mental like that's disgusting yeah oh, oh god and we're not words this is only the tip of the iceberg man that's i know that's the thing. But you know what? They'll all be, well, I, I hope they'll all be replaced with the, the women that they've uh, held back, <laughs> you know, and uh, hopefully it sticks, you know. Yeah. It doesn't all just happen again in in 15 years or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but at least it's happening because it needed, it clearly needed to happen. It needed to happen. Yeah. Know? It needed to get um, bad before and it, it was, And it was, it was not happening for reasons, you know. I mean, it's not entirely obviously in every in every circumstance it's different but when you hear about fucking Weinstein having private investigators following people to and stopping them from talking you realize that like you know this 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 kind of thing was was very much kept deliberately hush hush they mm -hmm. knew it was wrong ah oh, just just awful you know to go back to what we were talking about before, because I think, like, let's be real, you're not going to get six. So we'll go back have a spin, but, like, we'll have the chats for now. What, like, have you ever come close yourself to just being like, fuck this, I'm not enjoying it anymore, it's too hard, no one fucking even knows I exist in this industry, I'm quitting? Um, uh, definitely, like, before I went to college, I'd right. say it was the closest. Where Literally, where I had to, like, make that decision when I was still in flipping my leave insert year. And, uh... Not even the best, not even the, like a great actor in terms of like my own 
uh, kind of the, the youth theater I was in. I wouldn't have even been like, oh, he's the star pupil, Stephen Colfer. You know, I was there and I was fine. And I wanted to do, and I wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. Um. So I think probably then, then there would have been like a lot of doubt. I had a bit of a false start in terms of like going to drama school. I did two months in a different one first. Oh. Um. In London. Uh. But that was more of a that was more of a uh, I wasn't really ready to leave yet kind of situation rather than it being like drama school. Mm. But then when I got back, there was a lot of like, did I leave because of drama school or did I leave because of what do I want to do now? Mm. Do I have to come up with reasons I didn't do that to justify? I have to come up with reasons I did that to justify the fact that it happened and one of them for a bit might have been well I don't want to be an actor so that's why I quit drama school um, but that wasn't the case um, so I'd say that was probably that was probably the big one and then in terms of like after drama school I got I got very lucky in that I got cast in a pretty full on production relatively soon after I got out mm. um, yeah six, six months into the the kind of the following year um, I did a really nice. Uh, I did like a full production of uh, the Beggars Opera over in in Liverpool. Really, that I got cast in just like through sheer fluke. Uh, the dialect coach over there uh, knew uh, people in in the drama school I went to, and they auditioned just out of my like my graduating class, and and I got the part. Um, and once I did that, and there was like reviews of it in like the Telegraph and the Guardian, and none of them said. Stephen Colfer, he was such an anomaly on stage and he did it all wrong and this man doesn't, that, you know, they didn't, I, I think one of them was like, and Stephen Colfer was in it and like, that's all they said. But just the idea that they saw me up there doing it and weren't like, this is a travesty. I was like, okay, well, when I do this, nobody, nobody complains. So I must be doing something right. That's so, such once, a... so once I kind of had that, I was like, grand, you know? That's such a real thought. Like, I've yeah. had that thought so many times, like, reading reviews, like, and, like, both, because, like, you know, I'm sure we've all, like, uh, got good and bad ones, and, like, but there's, I, my favourite ones is just when they don't say anything. I, I don't want, I actually don't yeah. want to be noticed for, for, like, you know, standing out in a positive way or a negative way, because, and I mean, like, it, I know it's cliched, but I do kind of go by it, like, that thing of, well, look, if you're going to believe the good ones, then you have to believe the bad ones. So, like, it's better to kind of just, like, and look, don't get me wrong, it's handy to have like a nice review and, and it feels good for a second, but like the bad ones are, yeah. they, they like really hurt me. Now, also on top of that, I don't know how I'd feel if I wasn't on the dole for most of the time doing this. You know what I mean? If that wasn't there as a, as a, as a, <laughs> as a crutch, I guess, then I might have quit straight away, you know? I, yeah. I don't know. What's um, your relationship with your dole people? Um, I, I think I'm a success story, I think, <laughs> um, because I ended up doing the, uh, the so I, I I did it I did it the the good way I guess where I um I uh anytime I do a show I I, I go off it mm. uh which is very tempting to often not be the case and I, I don't know if this is what happens like behind the on the other side of the screen mm. but I've just basically always made it clear that anytime I have work which is about one third of the time for like the first maybe two years I would like go in with as much documentation that had like the theater's name and like what I did on it because. All I wanted them to have was Stephen Colfer, an actor, like as a profession, like seriously on that system, mm -hmm. um, basically to avoid the dreaded, like get work in a shop kind of thing. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's why it worked, but it's definitely, it definitely worked. Um, and then eventually once, uh, once Dream Gun actually got it, got it, got itself into a position where, especially with film reads, where we're somewhat making money off of the shows. Mm. Um, I do a lot of voiceover work as well now these days, which is which has been a big help. 
once I was in that position um, where I was working like, let's say two thirds of the time, um, or at least being paid enough that I was employed, that I was, you know, I was earning minimum wage on average two thirds of the time. Yeah. Um, I started on the, uh, the enterprise program, which uh, they do, which basically allowed me to become a self-employed man and uh, keep the, keep my social welfare payments full time while getting this business off the ground. And uh, I'm halfway through that at the moment. And I'm pleased to say that it looks like once this is done, uh, thanks to the, the, the film reads live shows mostly, as well as the voiceover work, which I've only started really getting in the last six months, that uh, I'll be in a position to not need it anymore. That's amazing. Which would be great. But uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I, to be honest, the only reason I'm talking about this is because I felt myself deliberately not saying it when you were asking me like how did you survive after drama school but it really has been such an essential part no, you know, and, I, and I wish we would talk about it more because that's the that's the reality of, of, of anyone I know that's like made it this far had to sit on it for a long time yeah you know? so that's 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 really the reason no I th- like and that's kind of why I asked because like it's yeah. one of them things I, I had like I've actually had a, a relatively short period like about, about two months when it when a job kind of got cancelled and I was just like left what the fuck do I do because yeah. I generally speaking be quite a good saver and if I feel like I can survive off my savings I won't I won't go on. even like I'd be entitled to it's just it's a weird fucking thing but like it's one of them things that isn't talked about it's like this unspoken thing that like really like yeah you're right like if you're an actor especially in the theatre thing yeah. and you're not like working like you know nine months of the year like yeah you've got it like you've got it yeah it pretty much just has to go that way unfortunately at the moment there's very few jobs that exist that will give you the flexibility to to survive otherwise mm. so that is the um the reality of how most people do it yeah yeah, yes yeah. that no it um, is good to talk about yeah. it because yeah it is one of them like it's like this weirdly like it's it, it feels like a dirty word but like it's just a, like it's like a practicality it's like a fact of what and i mean other countries like have it literally built in like in france they have like artists get like a living wage because they know that it's not it's not sustainable there's no funding behind it and like the, it's funny now that the economy is picking back up and you're like oh they could actually reinstate a lot of the funding that had to be cut <laughs> and it just isn't coming back i was reading a thing recently about how uh, drama schools were having to drastic drastically rethink their programs because uh, people are starting to notice that they're not getting jobs afterwards and uh, I love the idea that when the economy was was completely down the shitter and nobody was getting jobs after college uh, more people were going to drama school because they were like well nobody can get a job so I might as well follow my dream <laughs> you know so and now that it's it's actually it, other other places actually seem more viable um, you've got drama courses drastically trying to, to re, redo their course so that it's more based around like getting a job so it's oh, it's funny. That's know. great. That's Ebbs great. and flows. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, like <laughs> taking a chance, let's give it another spin. All right, let's do it. Uh, whoa, oh. fuck me, that flew out the gate. Uh, number fifty-nine. Do you have it? Oh crap! Do I? No, fifty-eight. I've been one off a few <sighs> times. Very yeah, close. Um, okay. In terms of artistic creation, what drives you to do what you do? Uh, I'm really happy. Uh, because I get to make things all the time um, and that's that's kind of it I'm very aware of like as I've kind of said to you in the last whatever amount of time I've been here hmm. like I would have had a very different life if I hadn't have uh, it's watched the Star Wars episode 2 makings, uh, making of to such an extent that I ended up joining this youth club and went on a completely different course or whatever whatever would have happened to me mm. um, I'm very aware that that alternate me is out there somewhere and he's probably he's probably doing all right, but uh, yeah, I, I I have this like real tremendous happiness that I get from getting to do this stuff, and 
you know, performing film reads and all the, all the dream guns, like watching like views come in on the dream gun stuff and knowing that people are seeing this and liking it. Mm. Um, it certainly, certainly keeps me going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you had the experience yeah. of like having to, to a degree? And I mean, this is again, we, we no one knows what's going to happen in the future. And like, you know, so, so just take this with like yeah. the pinch of salt that it's intended. But have you like had the thought and like had that conversation with yourself where you're like, I've got to make peace with the fact that like maybe I'll never own a house or like maybe yeah. I won't be able to afford like, you know, to, yeah, like completely. a family. And, and maybe that'll come back and bite me in the ass someday when I really, really think about the idea of I'll never own a house. Mm. Uh, but but in the meantime, I've just, I, I've done some really fun stuff in plays and on stage and uh I can't, I don't think it would ever be worth it to trade those things in because uh, unfortunately not a, lot of get a pe- not a lot of people get the chance to do it, you know. Um, so honestly, I don't, all those, all those worries we just talked about, I don't have them anymore, mm. you know. I, if, if I had to stop today, I, I think I would, I'd be sad that it, that it was like, all right, it's done. But uh, I would never regret the last 15 years, you know, because I really... I'm really proud of of the work that I've made in a, in a very genuine way, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I try to be I try to be thankful and aware for yeah. I, I listened I listened to a thing, listened to a thing re- recently about uh, trying to be thankful for invisible things, you know. And the, I think the big invisible thing in my life is uh, well, what if you never got to be a performer? That's a very real thing that that could have happened. Mm. Uh, what if you never got to be a writer? Um, but but. You know that, that that reality is always it's always out there somewhere. So uh, yeah. I, I try to just be thankful that I got to be the Stephen that existed in this one. Yeah, <laughs> you know? man. Um, if you, if you had to get that tattoo, I don't believe in any of that literally. By the way, but you know, yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. Is, this, is how I, this is how I reason it. Yeah. No, but be be thankful for invisible things is a gorgeous sentiment. Yeah, like it really yeah. is. That's um, really sweet. If you, like, I mean, if you had to get that tattoo, not a bad option. Oh yeah, not a bad option. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So let me check in. We've got about we've got about six minutes left. All right. Uh, we, let's give we, them a try spin. and get all six of these in. Yeah, <laughs> six and six. All right. Okay. So uh, number eleven. Do you have it? Uh, nope. Ah, f- I thought you had eleven. 11. I don't oh. know why. Right. Number. Sorry, Ted. I was holding it upside down. <laughs> I don't. I don't have no. um, Do you have a role model? Um. Do 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 do. Oh, I have a lot of people. Uh, who are only who are only a little bit older than me that I that I really admired growing up, mm. who I still who I still look up to with beady eyes, even though I'm now the same height as them and relatively mentally in the same place. Yeah. Uh, so someone like um, someone like John Morton. You yeah. Know, I'd, I'd really like to keep like to keep it very personally. Someone like John Morton, who uh, who uh, you know through well, well, I worked with John all you know all the time. We very much. Uh, climb the ladder separately you know what i mean we 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 weren't uh we weren't exactly like giving each other a leg up or like bringing ourselves into jobs um and it's been great to see uh to have someone like that who's only a little bit ahead of me mm. you know just to have this constant proof of like oh i could you know he, he had a rough time there and now he's going and now he's going again and, and yeah and, you know it's like a nice little nice little mirror into where i could be in three years uh that i've that uh I've literally had since I was 15 years old in terms yeah. of like when he started in when he started in college. Four years later, I ended up in the same college, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, uh, so it's, and there's a few people, there's a few people like that. Uh, John Doran, though we started the same, he eventually became that for me when he like got a little bit ahead of me mm. early in the race. 
And uh, I love just calling this a competition when it's it's the arts, like we're all friends, you know. Yeah, but I know, um, but you do, you do kind yeah. of, you do have your people, and it's it, it's it's kind of fun, yeah, to just watch like how the path, paths yeah. diverge. And absolutely, uh, there's some, actually, you know what, uh, Foil Arms and Hog, mm. um, who who now that uh, Sean Flanagan in particular, I I know more than the other two, uh, but kind of learning how they built that group. Um, has been like massively inspiring where they uh, they, they kind of got together and went all in um, and they uh, the way the way they use the way they use their videos to sell tickets is like a it's like they just figured out how to use the internet nobody nobody makes money off of YouTube videos that's like famously like a problem at the moment where you've got like content that's seen far more than uh, you know TV shows or whatever but it's creators are paid far less because whatever way that industry got set up somehow ads on a YouTube video are valued far less than ads on the six o'clock news, you know, mm. even though they've got the same number of viewers. Um, but they, they, they came up with a system where it's like, all right, we're not making these sketches to make, to make money off the sketches, so to speak. We're making them to sell tickets to our live shows. And when we started Dream Gun and we were like, this thing is going to be sketches and also live stuff. Mm. I mean, now that the live stuff is turning a profit, it is completely owed to the to the online stuff that people even know about us and people even come to the things, you mm. know. And that's why Dreaming pretty much these days, although we hope eventually to not just be the podcast again in the future. Mm. Um, the podcast has just been like an optimization of like slowly learning that where uh, that's why we started releasing the live shows as podcasts because we're like, well, if people listen to them, we won't make any money off that. But when they come and pay money to see the show, we've got this this existing mechanism to just like funnel our customers into um, and give them something back. Obviously, uh, it's uh, it's such a it's been such a foundation to suddenly have, you know. Yeah. We're like, oh, finally, work is I'm making something and it's and it's supporting me, you know. And uh, very much like that idea was was ripped off of uh, the lads and a couple of other kind of. Uh, content content creators who also are like very rooted in more theatrical backgrounds, mm. uh, which is the case with with at least myself and John Morton and John Doran and Devious and Four Lambs and Hog. They all come from. If you look at them, they don't come from the kind of uh, the personality uh, vine kind of backgrounds that a lot of sketch channels come from. Mm. They come from like having done stage stuff first. So I guess uh, yeah, watching people come from a similar background as myself and then just trying to copy exactly that yeah 100 certainly, certainly been the way to go <laughs> and i meant to ask you this earlier yeah. where did the name dream gun come from um it was definitely heber's idea so i'll say that much um it uh the first film that was made under the dream under the, well no the first film that 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 was made kind of with the configuration we used mm. um was dream gun um although come to think i actually i was far less involved in dream gun than i ended up the dream on the film that I ended up becoming in the company. I'm in it, but I wasn't really behind writing it or producing it. Mm. Um, and then uh, naturally that thing happened where uh, three months after making that film, they wanted to, all right, we're going to start this company. And that dream gun was our first film, but it kind of feels like we wasted the name on this one short film and we're really stuck for a name for the company. And, and people are aware of how silly that name was and enjoyed it. So let's just take it and, and put it on, put on what we're doing, which I see with a lot of, um, uh, one of my one of my favorite like little nods to like early work is at the end of every uh, South Park episode, um, whatever the Matt Stone and Trey Parker's uh, production company name comes up, and the jingle it has it goes, which is the uh, 
the verse line from the first song in the musical that they wrote when they were in film school <gasps> called Cannibal the Musical, uh, which I performed in Kilkenny. But yes, so so it kind of became this like, well, if this company becomes successful, then our, we'll have always named ourselves after our first little crummy film that we made ourselves. So that was kind of the that was kind of the rationale behind it. But I don't really know where the films the films thing came from. I know they wanted it to center around a gun, and a lot of it took place in like a dream world. But I don't know if that came before or after the name. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's so cool. Like I don't I don't want this to sound. I don't know what it would sound like, but like it it, it sounds like a nonsense phrase. But like I'm so delighted it's going so well because you've done like everything like a real right or real like honorable way. Like there's something very cool about how you did it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, I mean, that was never really our intention, you know, to like, oh, we're going to deliberately like turn down opportunities so that we've done it like the more honorable way, so to speak. And have you turned down opportunities? Um, Not really. There was there was early (laughs) early on. There was the only the only one that there's two that jumped to mind. One is just after we did Chaos Theory, uh, we were asked to do it in a Starbucks and uh, and we didn't really we didn't really we had a we had a sketch about we had a sketch in it about like uh, fancy coffee shops mm. and uh, one of the things he said to the guys was like, "Oh, I, do you you know what do you think about that sketch?" Because they they'd seen it, and uh, they were like, "Oh, it might have to go." And I was like, "Could we not just like double down? Could we not just you know kind of ironically do it in a Starbucks?" Yeah. And they were like, "No," and uh, I mean that's not really the reason why we didn't do it, but it definitely made me it it, it went from being like a meeting about like oh, okay all right you're gonna offer me this opportunity I'll take it to like okay that felt weird the way you didn't even you're taking everything else I say as a joke but you got very serious all of a sudden as soon as I mentioned that um and then uh then just what happened was I think they started I mean really think about it like a a a sketch comedy show in a Starbucks it's not a great idea so it kind of started to slowly I think they started to realize what they were suggesting and uh when it fell apart we were like all right, I'm, I've, you know, we were somewhat regretting the fact that we were already, we had kind of set things in motion already. Mm. Um, so we ended up doing, not doing that. And the only other one was uh, at one point somebody asked us to do uh, a film read at their friend's birthday very early on. And we didn't even not do it because we didn't want to go to a birthday. We just didn't have a script ready. And we were like, eh, nah. <laughs> you know? um, but other than that, it's just been, um, yeah, there's been, it's weird. There was, there was one opportunity we had to, uh, We've had a weird problem with the videos where they all use um, they all use copyrighted music, which is relatively fine on YouTube because what happens is uh, the people who own the music just take the they just take the the, the money that mm. you make. So our video Millennials, which is our most popular one, I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift gets everything out of that. Well, the funny thing is, is that we have three different songs in there, and yet somehow Taylor Swift is taking all the money, or at least one of them is. One of them is definitely getting it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm like curious as to how that works. How, like how much do you reckon you've made on the video? Oh, it's definitely only like 200 euro. It's yeah. Feck all. Still. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously you'd love to have it. But it's then gas you're like, the Taylor Swift. But then you're like, care. does the film work without the Taylor Swift song? You know, it. it, it my answer is it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so we did have we did have one instance where uh, uh, we were going to put a video up on, uh, and it would have been great. And we were like, we're, we're doing it. We're selling it. We're going to put it up on uh, Lad Bible. Um, and the awkward thing about like giving your video to Lad Bible is that they rehost it. They don't just uh, they don't just share like a link to the thing. They mm. see so you kind of is that trade off of like all right, more people will know about it, but at the end of the day, the majority of the views of the on the video are probably going to be on their version, mm-hmm. which is a bit unhelpful. So it's always a bit of a trade off. But we were like, all right, fuck it, we'll do it. Um, and then they started asking us about uh, oh, what about the uh, what about the music there, guys? Can you use a version with uh, with better music? And we were like, uh, better as in like not copyrighted music. And mm. we were like. 
No, and honestly, we couldn't because the edit files were like long gone. Like there was no going back to that thing and stripping the music out. Right. And they were like, okay, yeah, no problem. And then we never heard from them again. <laughs> so, so that was the end of that. So anytime we have tried to sell out, it, we've we've been unsuccessful. Basically, is <laughs> what I'm is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. That, that if if the impression of our show is, oh, ye went the honourable route. Then uh, purely, purely by chance, you just failed to sell out. You failed sell out. We couldn't, we couldn't seal the deals. Um, love it, love it. Uh, right, let's give it one more spin, right, and um, we'll call it a. Okay, come on, come on. All right, here we go. Last one. It's number twelve. <laughs> nope. Oh, you whitewashed. What's the opposite of, of whitewashed? Yeah. yeah okay. um, I've never played bingo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Oh, we're finishing on the weird one. Let's do it. Right. Do you ever wish you were born as the opposite gender? Uh, no, yeah. That's let let's give it an honest answer. And yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to insult or offend anyone. Uh, uh, most women who've been asked that have said yeah, the same thing. Um, uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I I uh, the sad thing is I don't have the strength that uh, uh, women in my industry do. They'll, you know, to the, to, I wouldn't be at this level if I was a woman because I I wouldn't have the strength to to deal with all the extra crap. Yeah, they have to deal with. That's sad. I think I can look at myself and actually very confidently say that. Yeah. Um, because I I know for a fact, uh, especially when I was when I was younger and and writing, when I look at uh, the uh, the that's what's very sad about this stuff is that it starts when you're young. The kind of support systems that were there that like convinced me to like, oh, you should write and you should you should do this, and yeah, they were all very like male centric, mm. and I don't even think they would have like come my way uh, if I was a woman. Um, Especially not, especially considering I didn't grow up in, uh, you know, in Dublin or or somewhere that might be just like a little bit, a little step ahead mm. in terms of, uh, or not even ahead, but just a little further along the along the track in terms of like ensuring equal opportunities. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just don't think it wouldn't have happened. Also, I was very religious when I was young, and uh, I don't know what like a female me and that level of religion would have would have done to me. <laughs> Do you know what really? I mean? Yeah, yeah, because. Uh, uh, I mean, it's funny the 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 kind of reason I ultimately like was like, all right, religion and spiritual spirituality is not for me. It's because I turned into an asshole. Uh, because I think that's what men get out of being religious is that they 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 kind of get permission to like, oh, I can I can lord over people, and my opinion is always right, and that's the good thing. Mm. Um, but, mm, uh, that's an interesting point. But I don't know if that's the same. And again, this is the, it's the nature of the question. I'm so sorry. Again, I don't want to assume, uh, uh, you know, how women respond to situations, but uh, I have a feeling that that's the church's game plan is more to is more to uh, give the man the boot and put the woman under the boot. Do you know what I mean? Right. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess rather than uh, rather than that initial, because when I started writing, I would have still been I would have still been religious rather than that initial like weird confidence that being a religious teenager gives you to I am right. Uh, I don't know if I would have had it. Yeah, if, if, uh, if I was in the if I was in the underside of the boot. Okay, two questions. When uh, you say yeah. you were a religious, like when yeah. you were younger, what does that look like on a like day to day basis? And when did that stop? Uh, so definitely on like a very like uh, uh, like literal level, um, on a Catholic level, yeah. I guess. Um, but I certainly didn't. Uh, I was not one for the old uh, the old Irish Catholic thing of yes, I'm Catholic, but I also like to. Uh, really, really, I want to see some hard evidence. So give me all of the the spinning pendants and uh, crying statues you can, 
because uh yeah 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 it's all about faith but i actually would like to see some proof mm. you know um so uh i was very much in terms of yeah I, I guess i can't remember how i started this sentence but i was very much that kind of like uh it wasn't it wasn't just to make myself feel better it was like it was the reality mm. um and uh at some point I don't know exactly when, but at some point, as I started to get more into like uh, sciencey stuff, which is what I really liked, and I know there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a lot of people who can kind of they can hold both a religion and general scientific consensus like in their head at once, mm. and they are compatible. But to me, it just slowly made all of religion incompatible, and uh, eventually one day I was like, all right, it's not real. How do I feel about that? And uh, I kind of realized that it it definitely definitely freed up a lot of anxiety that i i uh i had started to have because it was definitely like an all or nothing situation for me right you know where it was it was it was either all true or none of it was mm. um and it took me a, it took me a probably longer than like a lot of people to shake that and i do think it's because it went from like fully on to completely off mm. whereas i think i think more traditionally especially in ireland people would like gradually uh, step they would gradually step back from being a Catholic towards an atheist or whatever they they land on uh, in between so uh, do you have any relationship to religion yeah, now um no other than I don't I'm not fond of it yeah you know um I try to have uh, more respect for it because I've been flippant about it in the past and regretted it um and I do think that people find comfort in it but mm. it's just it just doesn't out, it doesn't it's positives don't outweigh it's massive negatives for me and that's kind of that's where i'm at with it these days you know Sweet, it's man. not for me yeah when, when i die i'm probably that's it nothing's gonna happen so you know well keep us posted <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll let you know man um, um so yeah. stephen colford thank you so much for doing it and um, will you do me a favor let us know uh, about all the bits about dream gun about the play in january all the bits and bobs in your social yep. media yep. and the podcast yeah now yeah all oh, right yeah okay here we go uh, yeah, so, uh, hey, when's this going out, Tom? This will go out on Sunday week. Uh, so, Oh, cool. Okay, so uh, that is, I think that's the night before. Oh, no. Well, we've already done We've already done our film read a diehard at this stage, but that's okay because yeah. the tickets are sold out, so you, you won't be going to that. Uh, the, next, the next show I have coming up, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a show in uh, Smock Alley uh, in the boys' school on the week of the 17th of January. Uh, it's called Personal Space. It's three short comedies written by myself, uh, Peter McGann and Hannah Mamelis. Great. Uh, they're all, it's, it's actually a bit of an attempt to, uh, to do a not dream gun thing, uh, where they're all comedies, but they are very much set in the real world, mm. um, which are kind of the rules we gave ourselves while we were writing them. Um, very like anthology show kind of, kind of thing. Um, so, uh, that's coming up in January. And then the next, uh, film read will be probably in the sugar club in late uh february so keep an eye on our on our twitter and facebook uh dream gun and sons on twitter and just dream gun on facebook um and our podcast uh, dream gun film reads where we just literally take the recordings of the live show um, that's on itunes soundcloud pocket cast podcast attic whatever whatever it is you have just search for dream gun film reads on that and you'll definitely find it and that's about everything that's coming up yeah. sweet man that yeah. was deadly i really enjoyed it Stephen. thank you so much for taking the time to do it well thank you very much Cheers. Cool. 
So guys, that was Stephen Call for playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. A massive thank you to Stephen for taking the time to do it. It was a deadly episode. Uh, one of them ones, sometimes you just meet up with someone that you kind of know and you don't know how well or what it's going to go like. Uh, and it's always a pleasant surprise. It was a deadly episode. And uh, thank you for taking the time to do it, Stephen. If you enjoyed it, guys, as I said, uh, share it on Facebook and Twitter, whatever your um, weapon of choice is in regards to social media. But I understand, as I said, that people don't always want to do that. But if you can, just say it to a friend. Look, check out this podcast. I think you might like it. That makes a massive difference because um, yeah, word of mouth is the only way to get this kind of um, thing spread across the world. Uh, we don't have a budget here at all um, to do that kind of thing. So you are our budget and uh, you are the best. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening and all that you do for the podcast. Um, in other news, uh, as I said, uh, I was in a short film there that my little brother just released. He's a really, really good, he's stupidly good. He's 18 years old and he's an unbelievable filmmaker. So I'd urge you to check out A Million Stars Already Dead on YouTube. It's a deadly little short film, uh, and I starred in it, and uh, I'm really proud of it. it it's deadly, and I hope he's um, proud of himself, because uh, Ben is a smashing little filmmaker. He's doing this leave insert at the moment, and he's away making films with his mates. It's uh, pretty cool, and uh, it's a really good film, uh, and I uh, really mean that. It, it doesn't feel like a little shitty short that you would make with your younger brother. It, uh, it's fairly legit, so give that a watch. Um, as I said, I'm also on stage at the moment in Sleeping Beauty at the Tivoli Theatre. Tickets are on sale right now, although I believe we're almost sold out until after Christmas, so I would jump on that now. Now, uh, if you want to get along and um, to come and see us, uh, as I said earlier, it's Mary Byrne, it's Alan Hughes, it's Rob Murphy, Michelle McGrath. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome cast, and um, we're having great fun doing it. So we get up and running this week. So uh, it's all absolutely hectic, um, but look, it's uh, it's panto. It is what it is, and it's great fun. I'm delighted to be doing it. Uh, in other news, just want to say a few quick thank yous. As always, a massive thank you to the boss woman Taz Kelleher for mixing, editing, and producing this podcast. She is an absolute star, and I also want to just point it in the direction of in. The share with Taz and Marcus. Um, it's their highly, highly successful podcast. Um, they, they, I'm sure they'd love to have you, but they, they are crushing it uh, without you. Um, but if you do fancy having a listen, uh, I couldn't recommend any more. It's a daddy little um podcast, and it's called In the Shower with Taz and Marcus. So go and check that out. It's also on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Uh, as always, a massive thank you to Alan and Paddy for having us uh, on the network. The network is just going from strength to strength. It's a kind of incredible time um to be around the place, uh, around the Head Stuff, um world and uh, yeah I'm honoured uh, to be there and thank you for the lads for having us also a huge thank you to Liam Moore and Anthony Manley for their wonderful 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 work on our deadly 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 theme music and also a massive thank you to Connor Nolan for his deadly artwork um, it's so cool uh, and it's great to have it on display week by week um, guys I think that is all that is left so tune in next week when Katie McCann will play Personality Bingo with Tom Moore This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.